Let's pray. Father, as we come now to open your word and read it, we pray that we would understand it by way of your Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, may we see in Solomon building his house what our priorities of this life should be. And may we be reminded of that house, that home that Jesus has gone to prepare for his people. Bless here this morning the reading hearing and preaching of Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please remain standing. Take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 7. First Kings 7, we'll begin at verse 1 and read to verse 12. Hear now the word of God. It is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. Solomon was building his own house 13 years. And he finished his entire house. He built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was... A hundred cubits, and its breadth fifty cubits, and its height thirty cubits. And it was built on four rows of cedar pillars, with cedar beams on the pillars. And it was covered with cedar above the chambers that were on the forty-five pillars, fifteen in each row. There were window frames in three rows, and window opposite window in three tiers. All the doorways and windows had square frames, and window was opposite window in three tiers. And he made the hall of pillars. Its length was 50 cubits, and its breadth 30 cubits. There was a porch in front with pillars and a canopy in front of them. And he made the hall of the throne where he was pronounced judgment, even the hall of judgment. It was finished with cedar from floor to rafters. His own house where he was to dwell and the other court back of the hall was like workmanship. Solomon also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter whom he had taken in marriage. All these were made of costly stones cut according to measure, sawed with saws back and forth, even from the foundation to the coping and from the outside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, huge stones, stones of eight and ten cubits. And above were costly stones cut according to to measurement and cedar. The great court had three courses of cut stone all around and a course of cedar beams. So at the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the house. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning we finished up with chapter 6 of 1 Kings and we were given an inside tour of the temple of the house that Solomon built for the Lord. 
We saw it was a beautiful house. Nothing less than beauty should encompass the house that Solomon built for the Lord. It was a house that was filled with gold. The finest gold. It was the house of God's holiness where God would dwell with His people. And finally, we were reminded and taken back to the very gates of paradise, to Eden. And so this morning we come and we find Solomon building his own house. We know that everyone wants a beautiful house. We see many times people spending more money than they can afford to have the most beautiful house possible. And even if we don't live in in the home of our dreams, there seems to be somehow we get a thrill from seeing how the other half lives. Have you ever driven through a neighborhood of maybe million dollar homes and said, man, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But we know that there's also an area of spiritual danger in this. Why? The Bible commands us not to covet what? Our neighbor's house. Or anything that belongs to our neighbor. And so God gave that command to us because He knows how prone we are to envy the places where other people live. And so we have a description of the house that Solomon built for himself. And what a house it was. It wasn't only a house. It is a compound. It is a house and a compound that is truly fit for a king. After all, Solomon is king and he should have a house that is fit for a king. And so there are three things we are going to see this morning in our text. And the first is that house that Solomon built or that compound that Solomon builds. The, the story of how Solomon builds his house is, is found in the longer story of how Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. In chapter 5, we were told how Solomon prepared to build the temple. In chapter 6, we were told how he actually built the temple inside and out. The rest of chapter 7 will tell us how Solomon furnished the temple, what he put inside the Lord's house. But in our text this morning, we find a brief description of the rest of the king's buildings. And it begins with his house. There are five or seem to have been five main buildings in this royal compound or complex. Three of the buildings had former titles. The house of the forest of Lebanon, the hall of pillars, and the hall of the throne or the hall of judgment. We find Solomon building his own residence. And not only that, he also builds a house for his Egyptian wife. Now that might have been also where the royal harem would live. For we know that Solomon will have quite a harem uh, before the end of his life. And so Solomon needed a, a, a place to call home. And he was king. And so it was right and good for the king to live in a palace. It was a part of his royal Dignity. The, this house that he builds is a 
given to him by divine right. After all, he is the divine king of Israel. He was the man of God's own choosing. He was the son of David. And so in a sense, the, the compound, the palace complex was not just built for Solomon, but it was also built for the kingdom of God. Now we get a picture of this in the fact that Solomon's house is right next to the temple. Solomon builds this complex right next to the temple that he built for the Lord. And so the king chose to put his house next door to the temple, bringing his kingship close to God's presence. And that is important. What did God say to him back in chapter 6? Solomon, if you, if you do my commandments, if you keep my statutes and obey my rules, I will be with you and with his people. And so by Solomon building his house the way he built it, it should have been a daily reminder of him keeping the commandments of God. That in order for him to be blessed and the people to be blessed, he had to obey. We find that like the temple, his, these buildings, his house also was made of stone and cedar. And in certain aspects, this house that Solomon builds for himself looks much like the temple. We have courts and we have hallways. And it's a, it's a miniature temple in a way that he builds to live in. As Matthew Henry says, Solomon's own house was like that of the temple. So well did he make, so well did he like the model of God's courts that he made his own by it. And so the close association between the, the house that Solomon builds for himself and the house that Solomon builds for God showed him that he was under the rule of God, that he was a royal son of of God, provided that is that the king was careful not to get his priorities reversed and think somehow of the temple of God as his own royal chapel. And so we have this description of this house that Solomon builds, but then there are two negative things we can take from the building of this house and what we find in it. And the first is distraction. Solomon's distraction. Notice verse 1. Solomon was building his own house 13 years and he finished his entire house. Now part of the glory of Solomon was the splendor of his royal palace. But there were some spiritual dangers. The spiritual dangers that typically go with a man living in a palace. And the first danger is that of distraction. And, and the danger of distraction is evident in the amount of time it took Solomon to build his, his own house. He took twice as much time to build his own house as he did the Lord's house. Now some might argue that he actually had his priorities in order. The Lord's house first and then his own. And it does seem like he did have those projects in the right order. But the Bible gives us a contrast here, and it does so for a reason. It gives us the amount of time that it took to build his house and the amount of time that it took to build 
the Lord's house. And the Bible is raising a concern over the priorities of Solomon. That it took him so long to build his house that he was distracted from doing the work of the kingdom. Now we face the same temptations, don't we? We are constantly distracted in this world. Most of us have a phone. We are constantly glued to that phone. We take it up. We are looking at what's going on. We're playing games. We cannot give it up. We are constantly distracted in this world. Uh, and we, and we, we are distracted from doing the work that God has given us to do. What is that work? It is kingdom work. We're to be doing the work of the king. We're to be doing the work of Christ. We're to be out telling others of Christ and in Him crucified. And, and we're not to be distracted by the, the, the glitz and the glamour of this world. But it is so easy, isn't it? It is so easy nowadays to sit down and watch a whole season of a TV show that we missed. 10 to 12 hours in one day, we think nothing of it. But distraction is a real thing. And, and, and Solomon uh, may well have been distracted. It seems the Bible is giving us that warning so that we will not follow in his footsteps. And we will know that later that he will be distracted and begin to follow other gods. And so it's a warning sign given here. It's a warning given to Solomon. It's a warning given to us. Let not the the cares of this world or the cares of our home distract us from the kingdom of God. But then the second danger is extravagance. Oh, the house that Solomon built for himself. As Solomon built his palace, he faced that real spiritual danger of extravagance. You see, the, the king's wealth was a blessing from God. We know that. The Bible has already told us that. But the more financial resources one has, the more he is to use those resources for the glory of God. And this house that Solomon builds is an impressive house. Again, five buildings in this complex, some of them quite large. There was a, a large multi-story building that was used for assemblies with, with side chambers for storing Treasure, as we read about in verses 2 through 5, the, the house of the forest of Lebanon. There was the hall of, of pillars that we read about in verse 6, 50 cubits and 30 cubits, a front porch with pillars and a canopy in front of them. There was this great hall or throne of judgment where the king would sit and judge cases that would come to him, he did not need a Supreme Court. He was the Supreme Judge. And he would use the wisdom that God gave to settle matters. We know that Solomon used high-end construction material. The cedar, just like he used in the temple and stone. There were huge cedar pillars and beams in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The hall of judgment was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. Now we hear that we say, well, what's wrong with that? And, and we admit, 1 Kings does not explicitly criticize Solomon for building this house 
But there is a prophet that does criticize the kings of Israel for building such palaces. And that prophet was Jeremiah. This is what Jeremiah says in in 22.14. And this is later in Israel's history. But he pronounced God's woe against any king who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms or who cuts out windows for his palace and, and panels the interior with what? With cedar. In Jeremiah twenty two fifteen, do you think you are a, a king because you compete in cedar? And so there was a real danger for Solomon, wasn't there? After all, he had all the riches one could ask for. It was a blessing from God. And, and so there was a danger of this extravagance that he's using. Now we understand the extravagance that he used on the temple of God. Why? Because God is God and He deserves all the extravagance in the world. He deserves our best. If we're, if we're honest, He deserves everything we have. But here Solomon is building it for his own glory. And as there was cedar, there was also stone. The stones in Solomon's palace were enormous. 12 to 15 feet across. Think of that. Think of having to move that. They were very, very expensive. By the time that these stones had been quarried in the hill country and hauled on top of, the, of Jerusalem's mountain, Solomon had paid what we would say a king's ransom in labor cost alone. And virtually every time these stones are mentioned, what is the adjective given to them? Costly. Expensive. And so when it came to the king's own palace, no expense was spared. Now we hear all of this and we say, well, what, what does that have to do with us? Well, I think the first application comes to us by way of a question and it's a very important question. What are your priorities in life? Well, we know this. We have a main priority in life, and that is to glorify God. What is man's chief end? We can say this way. What is man's chief priority? Man's chief end or man's chief priority is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so that is our number one priority in this life. And where do we do that the most in any in any other time? It is on the Lord's day in the worship of God morning and evening. The worship of our God should be a priority in our life. The elders call us together twice. It should be a priority for us to be here worshiping our God and the worship of God and the building of the spiritual temple through the church ought to be the main or the only primary goal we have in this life that we live. We were made to glorify God. We were made by God in his image and we glorify him most directly when we gather together with his people and worship Him. But there is a danger of distraction when it comes to worship, isn't there? That's our the writer of Hebrews warns, doesn't he? Hebrews 10.25 Do not forsake 
the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but all the more as you did see the day approaching. What day? The day of Christ's return. Oh, church, do not be distracted by the world and, and the cares of this world and the things that might, might tempt for you to go and do on this, the Lord's day. Uh, do not be distracted by these things. Those things will wait till tomorrow. Come and worship your God. You know, as Reformed Presbyterians, we believe in the means of grace. The means of grace are given both morning and evening. Not just this morning. The preaching of the Word is morning and evening on the Lord's Day. The sacraments are morning and evening on the Lord's Day. And you're missing a lot. You're missing a lot if you decide not to be here tonight. You're missing the opportunity to do your highest priority in life, and that is to glorify God and the worship of God with His people. We also glorify God and we're also called to invite other people to join us in giving glory to God. When was the last time you invited someone to church? When was the last time you said, well, come with me this coming Sunday morning or evening or both. Come and stay for lunch and, and we'll have a whole day of, of fellowship and worshiping God. And you might say, well, why do they need to be here? Well, if they're not believers, they need to hear the, the gospel. And how does God normally save His people? Through preaching. We glorify God when we invite others to come and join us in giving glory to God in the worship of God. And this is how we show the love of Christ to our neighbors and we share the good news of the gospel to those around the world. And so we should have a higher priority on the kingdom of God than on our own lives. We should have a higher priority on the kingdom of God than our own living situations. You know, every, every Sunday morning, we pray for the persecuted Christians as the offering is taken. And you need to go read some of their stories and see how uncomfortably they're living for the sake of Christ. Some have lost everything. Some this week have lost everything because they were arrested by our federal government because they were daring protests at an abortion clinic. Another man may well be arrested that I know personally and is a good friend because he was there. A Christian man, a pastor. Now what are they doing? They are putting the priority on the kingdom of God. They're willing to give up everything to see a baby saved and to tell others of Christ. Second, we know that having a nice home, wanting a nice home, there's nothing wrong in and of itself. But again, it is an area of spiritual danger, both for Solomon and for us. I, I, I could be quite content. Now, my wife would not be, but give me a shack on about 10 acres of land and I, I would be a happy person. I would sell everything tomorrow if I could do that. But we need to be aware of, of the dangers of rising expectations and creeping self-indulgence. Again, we, we, we are a, a nation of self-indulgence. This generation that is growing up right now, they are a, a generation of self-indulgence. 
And every decision we make about our money calls for wisdom and prayer and discernment. And God has not told us exactly has, has he, of how we ought to spend money and, and, and how much we're to spend on, on our homes or anything of that nature. He has left that to our wisdom. And sometimes we're not very wise. But he does give us a guideline. He, he gives us a guideline in the Bible, and that is, that, that is the biblical tithe, where we offer to God 10%. I do believe that to be biblical. I do find it to be biblical even in the New Testament. I find that we are to be giving 10% to the Lord. Now, sometimes it's very hard. Things happen, and we may not. God is a forgiving God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. But it helps us structure our money, doesn't it, if we live by that or seek to live by that. Because in that, we're recognizing something. We're recognizing that truly God owns everything we have. God being God, He could come to us and say, Oh, by the way, I want you to sell your house. I want you to sell your cars. I want you to trust me to give you what you need. And I want you to give everything to me. He's God. He owns it, not us. We're stewards. Now, He doesn't do that. He says, give me 10, the, the, the 10%, and, and you have the 90. And what a gracious God He is. But this helps us focus, doesn't it? I, I do believe it, it helps us to focus on the right priorities with our money and in our giving. A third, we need to understand that no matter what we have in this life, it will pale in comparison in, in, in what will be ours in the life to come through Christ. No matter how nice your home may be, there's a greater home awaiting the people of God. Jesus speaks of that in John chapter 14. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... I, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Christian, there is a home awaiting you in the new heavens and the new earth. And Solomon's house and the temple that he built for God will pale in comparison because we will be in the immediate presence of our Lord and our God and the Bible describes streets of gold. Not just a house, but streets. The celestial city coming down out of heaven. And I believe it will be even more glorious than the description John gives us in Revelation. And that will be our home forever. No more worrying about insurance on our homes. Or termites coming to destroy. No, we will be with Christ forever in those rooms, in those mansions that He has prepared for His people. But we will only be there if we have faith in Christ. If we have trusted Him, if we have turned from our sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus. When we arrive at our eternal home, we will discover that Jesus who, w who went to the cross and died for us and rose again, then went back and He prepared that place for us so that we might live forever with Him. 
to wherever we happen to stay in the meantime, whether it's a mansion or it's that shack on 10 acres of land where nobody can find me. Wherever we stay in the meantime, we should remember that we are not yet home. This isn't our home. That a greater home awaits us and that is with Jesus. And so as we close, the question is this, will you arrive at the best home of all? Will you arrive in the new heavens and the new earth with the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you arrive there in your death when your spirit goes and gets a foretaste of what body and spirit one day will will see with physical glorified eyes? How do you know if you will arrive there? Well, have you trusted in Christ? Have you turned from your sins? Putting your faith and trust in Jesus? If so, then know this, you have that guarantee of your eternal home given to you by way of the Holy Spirit. He lives within each one of us. He is guiding us. He is directing us. And we will see the glories of the new heavens and the new earth and we will be blown away by the beauty. The beauty of no longer having sin to be a part of our daily existence. The beauty of Christ. The beauty of living with Him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, He has gone to prepare a place. And He will come and He will take us to that place in His timing. May God add His blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning that You have gone by way of Your Son to prepare a glorious place for your people. And oh how beautiful the, the, the house of Solomon was. But yet Lord. The place you prepare for us. Is so much more. In beauty. And in holiness. Oh Lord forgive us for when we are distracted in this life. And we are many times. We will be distracted today. But help us not to be. Help us to have our right priorities on this your day focusing upon worship and and fellowship. And may we have right priorities through the week. And Lord, I pray for any who are here today that does not know Christ. Again, I ask, O Lord, that You would work in their hearts even now. Save them, bring them to Christ. And O Lord, may all of us have a closer walk with You as we get our priorities in line. Knowing that our chief end is to glorify You. And then we will enjoy you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.